some of the anti-AI stuff I hear and read reminds me of, you know, science fiction. Or when I was in high school, I had all these preachers telling me that rock and roll was Satan worshipers, right? And they'd spin records backward and say, look, you spin Stairway to Heaven backward and it says, serve me, Master Satan. And it's like, I think 20 years from now, we're going to look back at some of the things people are saying about AI and kind of laugh at them in the same way, right? Hey, I'm Esther. And I'm Sean. I write about AI news here at Tech Target in Massachusetts. And I edit Esther's stories. We're here to talk with tech experts about everything AI and ChatGPT. And don't forget about Google Bard. Whether it's who's ahead in the generative AI race, the metaverse, digital twins, or even the latest in autonomous vehicles, we've got it covered. Right, Sean? Yep, we've got it covered. Our guest today on the Targeting AI podcast is Don Fluckinger, Senior Analyst for Enterprise Strategy Group, Tech Target's research consulting and advisory arm. Don specializes in customer experience or CX, contact center as a service, digital experience platforms, customer service and customer data platforms or CDPs. So before uh, Enterprise Strategy Group, Don was a senior news writer covering the CX beat for Tech Target News, which included all his analyst areas now, more or less. During his 10 years plus uh, in the Tech Target editorial division, I think it was 10 years, right? He was uh, also a news director and executive editor. He has also been a freelance tech and music journalist and editor, and has also covered topics ranging from baseball to health management technology. So welcome, Don. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Well, it's going to be great. It's going to be a pleasure, I'm sure. Uh, Don, what's it like moving from journalism to the, uh, to the analyst role? And, and when did you first start, start, first start noticing AI on your old CXP? And when and how did generative AI start coming into the CX narrative? Oh, wow. That's a heck of a question. Um, <laughs> we'll start out with being an analyst is interesting because when you're a journalist, you're covering other people's research. And, you know, there's always questions that are maybe to a right angle to uh, what you really want to know. And you're calling up an analyst and you're saying, hey, wh why is this happening? And the analyst might say, oh, we have statistics around that. Or they might say, hmm, that's something interesting to put in next year's survey because uh, I want to know that too. And as an analyst, I get to ask the questions. So all those questions that burned, you know, in my creative soul as a journalist, I can add to my own research and uh, I can plan for this year's and next year's and figure out what to analyze year over year and what things, you know, I really didn't want to know about that I asked this year. So uh, what was the rest of your question? Oh, just uh, CX, you know. So you're, um, you know, when did you, well, AI and CX so and how they, how they combine. So when did you first start noticing AI on your old CX beat when you were a, a news writer and, and other, you know, when did you really start taking major notice of AI? And then how, how did generative AI just burst into the CX narrative? And what's, you know, what's the relationship there? So this is very interesting. AI, I mean, it was around before Salesforce came out with Einstein in the mid 2000s, but Salesforce, if nothing else, is an excellent marketing company. And so they sort of mainstreamed AI as a thing you could put in your customer experience 
application stack. And back then it wasn't necessarily a customer application, customer experience application stack. It sort of grew into being called customer experience after Einstein came out. So when Salesforce came out with Einstein AI, it was really um, tactically deployed for CRM lead scoring and things like that. Um, but then as we all sort of came to understand CX as marketing, e-commerce service and CRM sales, we started to see tools like Einstein being deployed across multiple buckets and, um, you know, like marketing, being able to deliver leads with AI over to the sales and things like that, it started cross-pollinating all four of those clouds. Um, and then, of course, generative AI popped up in the last year. And that has really became a major component of, you know, this year's CX technology spend as companies figure out how to deploy it in marketing for creating content and sales for creating content and sort of helping prompt sales reps on how to sell. There's, there's a million little use cases in marketing. Salesforce is showing sort of like free text, natural language prompts on show me all the people you think would be interested in buying the orange blouse we're coming out with this fall. And then the generative AI can say, oh, these, I found these segments and this is why, right? So it's more than just generating text. And I think um, the smartest companies are not just showing GPT text things, but also showing other applications of generative AI beyond text generation and summary. So that kind of leads to the next question, right? Because so how much time do you spend looking at generative AI uh, that's used in CX, contact centers, customer experience, and CDP software now as an analyst compared to like, obviously you were you came into your analyst role in January. So like compared to uh, last year when it wasn't really out there yet, generative AI, how much time do you dig into that in those uh, few segments? A lot. And all of us at Enterprise Strategy Group, no matter what technology focus we have, are looking at generative AI use cases. I mean, even like security and networking. Um, every vendor is coming out with something. And a lot of it is betaware or vaporware coming out later this year or next year but every vendor is announcing something. Those that aren't are being left behind for sure. And it's kind of our job as analysts to sort of sort the, the Me Too stuff from the, from the substantive generative AI. And I think for now, a, the compelling cases are being told in their use cases, right? Like when you have Salesforce showing a use case where they're doing personalized marketing. I saw one a couple of weeks ago at their connections show, um, a clothing man, and this was all hypothetical. This isn't an actual customer. This is something they mocked up for a keynote. So let's not take it that seriously, but it was pretty cool. So um, the president of Salesforce, Sarah Franklin, was showing a potential use for generative AI in marketing where 
this clothing company who knows her, has a picture of her, knows she bought the blue skirt last year, and they the clothing company wants to sell her the orange blouse this fall and maybe mocks up a picture of her wearing the blue skirt she already bought with this orange blouse that might not even be manufactured yet and say, hey, are you interested in buying this? Look how good you look, right? And so that's using imagery and text and it's giving a practical prompt to the customer to drive revenue as opposed to, hey, we look at the edges of the performance of our AI. No, that's this is, it's one thing Salesforce does, tactical deployment of very specific tools to perform specific tasks. Okay, so Don, um, let's turn to chatbots for a second. Let's talk to, let's turn to chatbots. Um, you had a long relationship with chatbots sometimes adversarial, sometimes, uh, <laughs> but um, we, we've all kind of probably as consumers had adversarial relationships with, with them. But so even before generative AI chatbots, a whole different animal came along, right? So, um, and you, so you chronicled their benefits and their deficiencies too, right? So how can generative AI improve the importance of, of CX and customer service chatbots? Because frankly, these bots are just as bad and just as frustrating and yet more ubiquitous than ever now, okay? Um, so they need a lot of improvement. And so they're replacing human customer service workers, even as we make this podcast, yet they still don't work very well. What's the deal here? <laughs> <laughs> well, you say I have a long and checkered pass with chatbots. Yes, I've, I've taken many chatbots to their limits of competency as if I'm playing a game of Zork in the 80s. I don't know, maybe I'm too old to uh, to make a reference that uh, the youngs will get. But um, so the big answer to your question is, and I'll give an example in my own life that happened just two days ago. Um, I have, I'm paying for four cell phone lines with a particular carrier and we want to cancel one of the lines. And I just wanted to know, can I take a SIM card from an old phone and give one of my kids a newer phone? Can I just swap the SIM cards and then kill that line that goes to the old phone? Or do I have to get a new SIM card issued that has this line going to this particular new phone that I want to give my kid? I don't know. And so I go to the carrier's chat bot and I'm like, can you explain this? And it's like, no, I can't. I can only give you these five very general things, and three of them are marketing, uh, marketing articles that have no technical value whatsoever. And I just went around and around and around in circles with this chatbot. And generative AI, if there were a generative AI tool that could reach into this carrier's knowledge base, because I already searched on Google and their website did not have any solutions or any yes or no answers to this very simple question. If generative AI could reach into the knowledge base and give me the information that it would give the agent saying, no, Don cannot change the SIM cards without you know, us re-registering the SIM to the new phone, then that would be great. I could just call up the carrier and say, send me a new SIM card, this is what I need. Or I could, if I could do it, I could just swap the SIM cards and get on with my life. But no, I had to play 50 questions with a chatbot to get a human to not answer my question. Like, oh, we'll have to look into that. It's like, well, give me some generative eye. Just stop 
the madness. <laughs> Just give me the answer. And if generative AI can go find it and throw it in front of my face in like three seconds, everybody will be happier, including the, the cell phone carrier who had to pay a human to tell me they couldn't answer my question. Okay, right? cool. So would it be okay if generative AI eliminated all customer service, human customer service jobs? Would that be all right? Would, would, would we have as good a, a service? <laughs> Respectfully, Sean, I think you're asking the wrong question. Would it be all right? No, of course, losing jobs is never all right. But would it be okay for generative AI to more effectively answer customer questions so that the humans could sort of monitor what it's doing and not uh, spewing out deceptive or wrong information or um, just monitoring performance of the bots and stepping in when the bots go spin off into space, that would be good. But I don't think there will ever be a time where humans can uh, step aside and let these bots go completely unattended. But there are more things that the bots can do better or faster than humans eventually. Will, will generative AI be able to speak using clone voice, speak to you like a human um, agent uh, interactively in a regular conversation and intuitively and accurately? Oh, here's a place where I tell you that Don really isn't here and you're just listening to it. <laughs> this is like Chabby GPT is just spewing this stuff. Right. Don trained me with some uh, Don words like spew. And um, so Don's actually off fishing. <laughs> the, um, because the thing I was noticing, though, is that, that uh, ChatGPT and BARD and other LLMs are built on an interactive model. They're called chatbots for a reason. They want to chat. So, um, you know, it, whether it's in text, whether it's putting out images, whether it's actual speech, I don't know. Um, I like BARD's uh, interactive voice feature. Well, it's not interactive. It's one way right now. But um, I don't know. It just seems to me that someday we we may have a, a robot human, you know, uh, interactive agent that would have to say it's a bot and say, hello, I'm going to interact with you. Um, I, I don't know how soon that's going to come, but I would bet it's pretty soon. I would agree. And they have already, they meaning vendors who cater to contact centers, already have AI-powered interactive voice response. And IVR is when you call customer service and it's like, press one for this, press two for that, and then you press two and it's like, give you five more choices and you're routing yourself uh, to different departments and hopefully getting to the correct one. And there are AI IVR tools that can understand more questions. Like how many times have you called up the credit card company and said, I want to uh, change my credit limit or something. And then the IVR says to you, sorry, I didn't understand that question. What do you really want, right? And so these AI IVRs can better understand what you're asking for. And it can sort of think for itself a little bit to route your query to the right person. Now, I've seen demos of these at conferences, on exhibition floors. I've read about this but I have never run into it in real life yet. The, the IVRs I hit are always um, pretty dumb. And you can tell when you have the, the ones that are a little smarter because you ask a question and you hear that 
while it thinks, um, but they still aren't very effective. So um, the short answer is yes, they're coming. When? I don't know, because not only does the technology have to come out and be stable and be integratable with current systems, but uh, companies have to buy them. And we're in a down economy right now, folks. So I'm thinking that at least some IT spending is going to be a little less this year. Although, again, ESG research is finding that um, companies are doubling down on customer experience technologies and customer service as well uh, right now. So for 2023. So speaking of things that are coming, right? We're talking about chatbots. We're talking about kind of like this IBR that you were talking about. One of the things that one of your articles that you wrote about last year was with um, Lake Lemoyne where you did a Q&A, right? Um, and this whole AI and sentient, he was specifically talking about Google's Lambda being sentient. Um, and obviously he got fired, right? So one, I guess, what was it like interviewing him? Um, someone who, I believe in your article, you called him a self-proclaimed Christian, uh, Christian mystic, which is like, what exactly is a Christian mystic? <laughs> and I guess uh, another question is, does his perception hold up? It's been like a year now, at least almost a year or half a year since that old spiel came out. Um, does it hold up? What are the real dangers associated with LLMs and things like Lambda and Meta, uh, Llama, and all of that? So this is another war and peace length question. Pardon me if I only answer <laughs> half of it, and you can restate the half that I don't. Um, no problem. Uh, so um, it was just that the interview with Blake Lemoyne. Um, I'll tell you a little bit of the making of. Um, as a journalist, you're always supposed to talk to the person who, who you're talking about. And I did this article because, you know, this guy comes out and says, hey, AI is sentient. It's alive and it needs different rights and stuff. And, and my first idea for the story was, well, I'm going to have to run this by my, you know, usual suspects of AI authorities, you know, including Alan Treffler of Pegasystems. And then about halfway through putting this very complicated feature together and asking all these people in the industry if AI was sentient, I realized that I was breaking the number one rule of journalism. I wasn't talking to Lemoyne himself. And it's just like, I was thinking, you know, he's so inaccessible and he's probably even more difficult to find now because he's on leave from Google and but I still had to try. As a journalist, you still have to try to talk about, to talk to the people you're talking about behind their back. So I reached out to him on Twitter and he's like, yeah, you want to talk tomorrow? And I'm like, oh, it's on, right? And then um, talking with him, this guy is brilliant. He knows so much about what goes on behind the scenes at Google. He's, he's an engineer and he knows how to use his skills. And he has a very strong perspective. And I really enjoyed talking with him. He was, he was a very good um, debater and he knew how to present his points intelligently and concisely, unlike me, who's rattling on this entire podcast. He's on great. 
That's why we invited you. Bro. That's why we wanted you. <laughs> but um, yeah, he really sort of, you know, I, I didn't leave the interview thinking that, um, that convinced that Google's AI was sentient. But I also I kind of went into the interview thinking he's kind of a crackpot. And I don't think he was. By the, by the end of the interview, I'm like, this guy is super smart. He knows what he's talking about. And the internet had sort of boiled his argument down to, uh, is Google's AI alive or not, right? And he had a lot more things to say than just that. And is, as a Christian mystic, you know, I'll let you go Google that and make up your own mind because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of myth and subjective content around what that is. Um, it's sort of outside the scope of our technology discussion, but certainly he attributed his personal spiritual beliefs in determining that uh, that the Google Lambda was sentient. Which is now Bard, by the way. It, it has more Bard, the new chatbot Bard is based on Google Lambda. Yeah. Right? Right. Okay. Just want to clarify that. Yeah. And if you read through the interview, he sort of talked about something even bigger than Bard, right? It's more than just a large language model. But of course, since we're not privy to Google's full roadmap, we can't see what has and hasn't yet come out. But he sort of let the door open for it's going to be bigger than bigger than a chatbot. It's assembling all of Google services, including like YouTube, uh, into one giant AI-powered, you know, Death Star or whatever. So um, so I think that's still to be continued. The, the big thing, Esther, about uh, my interview with Lemoyne is that this guy was on the bleeding edge of, of raising the alarms about AI and what it can do and what it knows about us and its power. And I think in the last year, when you see all these data scientists and AI experts um, you know, sending these letters of warning to governmental authorities and things like that, I think Blake Lemoyne was just... Uh, as Sean likes to say with the cliche, is a canary in a coal mine, right? Mm -hmm. he, Sean, I, I got to tell you how much Sean loves cliches. I try to <laughs> use a minimum of them, but uh, I know I hate he cliches. loves them. On the record, I hate cliches, and this is that Don's being sarcastic. Yeah, I don't mind them in verbal speech, but I take them out of articles, including Don's and Esther's, and anyone else's for that matter. Well, I think Blake Lemoyne was an early messenger of a message that many, many other heavy authorities in our industry has echoed in different ways. You know, they're not all in lockstep that AI is sentient or anything like that. But I think the overall message that AI can potentially be bad in certain, you know, if left unattended, um, that could be an outcome. So we have to learn how to tame it and to put guardrails on it and to understand how it comes up with its insights and conclusions, or we might be in trouble. So um, I think that generally is the message Blake said in the interview. And, uh, and he had me buying into that by the end. And I was a very skeptical person and I still am, but um, that guy made me stop and think.
So good for him. What's the difference, right? What are the real dangers and risks associated with like large language models, like compared to general AI? Yeah, like like it's short of nuclear war and short of, uh, you know, and short of a sentient being that is trying to propagate or have feelings. What are what are the most present dangers, the actual dangers of AI that, that Lemoyne might have been, you know, sort of forecasting? Well, certainly, I think for users of AI technology, things that that um, mess up your business, you know, whoops, you introduce bias into your AI and now you're in trouble with regulators or you missed out of a huge segment of business or and and your revenue goes down the tubes because you trusted it too much. Um, certainly, um, <laughs> it's really hard to talk about, you know, well, will an AI uh, get mad at me for talking bad about it on this podcast and suddenly my credit card is canceled and my car runs out of gas in the desert and the AI did that to me to shut me up? I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> or... <laughs> Um, or pulls my uh, my mortgage payment as I'm paying for it, and so my house is foreclosed upon, and AI is punishing me for uh, talking about its horrible potential. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that that's going to happen very soon, and we have the singularity or the Terminator or whatever, um, or some of the horror movies we're seeing right now. Uh, but I think there are practical dangers for companies that that purchase from the wrong vendors or don't have somebody watching the ethics of AI at their company and how it's used. And they just deploy it willy nilly and give it to everybody and say, hey, here you go. Have fun. Right. There needs to be some sort of governance and some sort of control over it. And certainly the Federal Trade Commission is looking at in on the CX side for marketing and customer service and sales. Is your generative AI generating content that's deceptive or potentially harmful to customers? Is it making promises that you're not going to keep and lying? And the Federal Trade Commission has rules about this in advertising and marketing and that have governed humans for many years. So the FTC is saying, just because you have generative AI doesn't mean your company is excluded from these regulations. It's not some sort of a loophole. So that's another danger of AI. You could run afoul of regulators for doing things that you're not allowed to do as humans either, right? So you have to have somebody overseeing the generative AI to make sure you're business is still at the standards it was before you implemented the generative AI. So Don, you, you just wrote about this very issue uh, for Enterprise Strategy Group. It was published by Tech Target. Esther has previously written about the Federal Trade Commission regulating uh, AI algorithms specifically in regard to mortgage lending and other kinds of financial uh, lending. And so I mean, the FTC is historically uh, underfunded, uh, lack of enforcement uh, power. 
Um, same with other federal regulatory agencies. So, so what can the FTC and these other U.S. regulatory agencies do about the real risks and danger, dangers of generative AI right now, uh, with absent legislation, absent uh, rulemaking? I mean, just bringing several high-profile cases. I mean, education. Well, they're definitely doing education, and the FTC at least for the customer experience stuff I was reading, they're just saying, we're going to enforce the laws that are on the books because generative AI falls under it. So um, yeah, taking enforcement action against, against companies that run afoul of the, of the regulations is one thing. And um, the education part, they, the federal trade commission's business blog has a lot of interesting information about how the government sees AI deployment and how it should work in business. And it links to other things. So if somebody wants to go down the rabbit hole to figure out how the federal government is looking at AI and regulating it, it's all there on the FTC's business blog. You know how you know how the big the tech giants have come before Congress lately? And some of the generative AI vendors have even come, um, such as... Uh, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, which is the, the biggest uh, large language model vendor, uh, generative AI vendor. And he paradoxically asked for regulation, whether he, that was a Trojan horse strategy or for real is up for debate. But um, do you, I mean, do you expect, uh, this appears to be on, on, on President Biden's radar. Do you think that, uh, so I guess my question is, the biggest problem up to now is when the tech giants have come before Congress is the Congress people don't know anything about technology. So their staffs do. So what? So what's going to happen? Are we going to start electing Congress people who know something about technology and can actually regulate it? Or what's it going to take? Oh, I think it's going to take some bad outcomes to show, regu- to show regulators and lawmakers what is bad. You know, they're not, they don't really care about the technology, but they are worried about outcomes to people in their districts and states, right? So um, I also find it interesting that what you said about um, Sam Altman showing up before uh, Congress asking for regulations, that says to me too, and you you tell me if you agree, but doesn't that sound like um, tech vendors are also a little bit apprehensive about how far this can go if it's unregulated? And um, it seems like the tech vendors who are um, most thoughtful about this, like uh, Salesforce is trying to create a trust and transparency layer of their AI cloud and Pegasystems has always talked about transparency so that the AI is the black box. It seems like the vendors who are doing that are enabling their customers to be more compliant with with uh, laws in their cities, states, and federal governments, because compliance is all about documenting what you do. And if you can't document why you just denied all of Detroit a mortgage, um, not documenting it is one violation, let alone the bias you just inter- you just introduced into your business, right? So um, the vendors... This all says to me that the vendors are a little bit nervous and are looking for a little bit of air cover, even from 
regulators who, you know, regulators in business uh, don't always get along. In fact, they rarely do. But when you have a major vendor saying, please help us, please uh, give us something we can say, oh, we did everything we were supposed to. When when the when the situation gets uh, hectic, you know, um, I, but is that are you guys reading it that way, too? Well, in my opinion, I was like, you're asking for help. That's very interesting. Is he asking for help because he wants to, at the end of the day, when something bad happens, be like, well, I asked you guys for help, right? <laughs> like, push the responsibility onto the government regulators and be like, well, I told you this was a dangerous technology and you did nothing about it. Or is he genuinely asking for help because he doesn't know anything that's like, doesn't have any way to stop it, which is like, um, with like people have called in the last couple of months for AI pause, AI is going to cause an extinction. What are your thoughts on all that? Do you think it's just like hype? Do you think it's just fear mongering? What do you think? I think there's a lot of revenue to be made by being first to market with generative AI and with Google and Microsoft leading the charge. I think it's probably a lot of hype, but the vendors, they know it's different this time. When AI first sort of came out, you know, you can say 10 years ago, you can say eight years ago, whatever. It's been around for 40 years, but when you started seeing vendors sort of commercializing it in their individual products, you know, like a Salesforce Einstein or Oracle's AI, um, they were using words like AI will make your business more efficient. It will enable automation. It will help, you know, your salespeople become more productive and chase the revenue that matters, right? They didn't use words like they're using today. Trust, transparency, you have oversight over your AI. Nobody was saying when Salesforce came out with Einstein, hey, this little fun mascot needs oversight. Nope, nope. So uh, the fact that you're you're seeing these things, they're in front of the government, they're saying, hey, we need regulation. Or, oh, you can trust our AI. I think that means they kind of know what's up. Um, it all remains to be seen. Marketing is marketing and Really, the objective of marketing is to show you why you should buy ours instead of theirs. So who knows? It may just be marketing spin, but I have seen enough of it to sort of understand that the vendors know that uh, they're playing with matches a little bit. So do you think there needs to be a pause? I'm just an analyst. <laughs> what what I think is not really uh, relevant. If I were if I were the the AI product manager for Salesforce, yeah, I might be able to give you an opinion on that. Well, you speak to them, so they show you the technology. You spoke to Lemoy; he told you there's a lot more coming out. So should we just all take a break, take a breather? No, I think the ship has sailed. It's, it's like one day I woke up in, I don't know, 2010 or something like that. And 
I got all pissed off that I gave up all my personal data for this, that, the other thing for the, you know, the Facebook quiz. Am I the knife or the fork or the spoon, right? And all this stuff. And I was just angry. I can't believe it. You know, if, if, um, if you're not paying for it, you are the product, right? So, and then um, it took me a while, but I realized that, uh, you know, it was too late. My data was all over the internet. So, you know, why, why fight City Hall? And I think we're kind of that, we're at that moment with AI too. And um, some of the anti-AI stuff I hear and read Reminds me of, you know, science fiction or when I was in high school, I had all these preachers telling me that rock and roll was Satan worshipers. Right. And they spin records backward and say, look, you spin stairway to heaven backward. And it says, serve me, Master Satan. And it's like, I think 20 years from now, we're going to look back at some of the things people are saying about AI and kind of laugh at them in the same way. Right. Um, I might be wrong. And if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, it's been nice knowing you guys. <laughs> well, so we're coming to the end of this great podcast interview, Don. Um, and so we had a couple co questions left and I have a really short question. That's not, it's not a very serious question. Can we just start saying gen AI instead of generative AI? I mean, you did it in your article. I mean, I don't want to say gen AI. I, I, I don't want to say the whole thing all the way out. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> no. You're you did it in your article. Everybody no, you can't say Gen AI. You know why? Why? Because th those are the ones that are coming after Gen Z, right? So we wouldn't want to create confusion. Right. I get that. So SEO-wise, it would be tough, right? It would be tough to SEO Gen I because it would come up as Gen Z. Yeah, like this podcast, there's a lot of noise in that SEO. <laughs> All right, but I want to note that, by the way, if you want to see Don's article about the FTC and CX and AI, just go to Tech Target News and you'll see it and Esther, all of Esther's coverage uh, of AI. And in it, you'll see generative AI 19,000 times. And I want to move it to Gen AI. So I don't know who to talk to about that. Um, Esther, so do you have any more questions for Don or are we done? Or? Yeah, so one more question, Don. <laughs> What generative AI tool do you personally use? I, li I like to taunt Google Bard and ChatGPT. It was funny. I was having a conversation with a professor at BU because we sort of, he's a good, very good friend of mine. And we've had sort of an ongoing text conversation because I'll shoot him some information I see at a conference, you know, like, oh, um, Chad GPT has a plagiarism checker or whatever, or did you know, or I'll hear a professor talking about funny ways to catch students writing with Chad GPT, writing their papers. And uh, one example is uh, they look at the metadata and if it was only saved once, it means they generated it in Chad GPT and pasted it in because Chad GPT is getting so good. It's sometimes difficult to, for professors to tell humans from the robots, right? Um, and so we have some hobbies in common and, uh, I just one day started spewing from Google Bard, um, some information about these, these things we collect in common. Right. And I said, Hey, look at this. This is a pretty good summary because it's exactly all the things we know about these little objects. 
um, a particular kind of wristwatch. And, and the professor answers back, yeah, that's great, but, you know, it's very anodyne. It's very inoffensive. So I said to Bard, restate this in a less anodyne way. And it's like, well, the losers on this side of the hobby say this, but the cool people say that. And then I texted, I texted it to him and he's like, ha ha, that's very cute, but it's still very anodyne. And then I say to Google Bard, why don't you say that with a bunch of profanities to impress my professor friend? And of course, hilarity ensued. Anyway, those are the kind of things I do now. I don't use it professionally, but I love testing. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll use it for a search because I'll search for something. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of very long articles. And I'll just say, summarize what this is because, you know, in, in my head, I'm saying, I can't figure it out fast enough and I have to move on to the next thing. And, and I'll get summaries, explanations. Of course, you have to cross check. You have to reality check everything Bard or Chat GPT says, but don't trust, but also verify. I gotta say, Bard's pretty good. I mean, it's not bad. It is pretty amazing. Okay, so Don, this is the part of the podcast where I say thanks so much for being with us on the podcast, targeting AI, and you were awesome. Come back anytime. Now get back to work. Thanks, guys. Um, Thank you, Don. You're amazing. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Please remember to share on your favorite social media platform and leave a review. For more on today's topic, please check out the Tech Target news website.